Amen. So great to be here in Auckland, New Zealand. We were flying here and uh, uh, we were having trouble finding New Zealand because it's not on a lot of maps. And, uh, and no, I actually listened to a YouTube thing with uh, with uh, Prius. What's his name? Reese. Reese and the Prime Minister, and it was it was awesome. But of course, I love New Zealand. It's a great. I, you can't miss New Zealand. The most beautiful place in the whole world. And uh, if I wanted to live any place other than uh, Australia, it'd be New Zealand. Amen. It's great to be here. It's uh, the countries are obviously are tied together. You, the, uh, all the industry is the same name brands. Everything's kind of tied together. We're linked together uh, as brothers and sisters, and sometimes we fight. And uh, <laughs> and one day we'll win the rugby. One day. Uh, and if we can't win in cricket, we'll cheat. And uh, whatever it takes. <laughs> So we are, we are, I do send, send greetings from uh, Sydney. We, 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 of course, uh, love Dave and Megan on multiple levels uh, as leaders of the church here and also as our daughter and our son-in-law and the parents of three wonderful grandchildren. And, uh, and, one, uh, uh, and my grandson, who's named after me, uh, Luke Michael Bliley. That's exciting. So amen. That's all exciting. We are having a spa conference uh, in October. I hope all of you can come. Uh, I hope we can perform the lovely dance the sisters did. Uh, that will be awesome. And uh, it, it was very, very moving. I appreciate all the work that they've done for that. God's blessed us uh, uh, in Sydney. We, you know, uh, last year uh, we've been, I don't know, we've been averaging about 25, 26 baptisms a year. And we said, why don't we try to go for weekly baptisms or at least 48 baptisms, like, like rather than 52, but 48, you know, for four a month. And, and we worked hard. And then last year in 2017, we, we had 43 baptisms, which which was a big jump. And this year we decided to say, well, let's take it higher. Let's let's go for 60 baptisms in Christ. And and uh, and we and uh, we started the month with with two because it was January is a pretty slow month in our neck of the woods. And, and as with you, and then we had uh, five the next month and five the next month. And, and then and the last month we had eight. We're right on target for 20. We've had 20 disciples so, so far, uh, new disciples. We're excited about that. And I uh, hope that God will continue to bless us. Uh, and you hate to talk about things like this because God doesn't like to talk about it too much because then the numbers go, go down. But anyway, God's really uh, uh, blessing us. We're excited about just uh, all the things that God are doing in the campus. In the teens, uh, in the uh, in the singles, and in the, the marrieds, uh, God's moving in many, many ways, and we're so excited about so many different things that are happening. Not only here, but uh, not only there, but here as well as in Fiji and Papua New Guinea. Good to have Mel from Papua New Guinea there. I was there, saw him two weeks ago in Port Moresby, and now he's here. And uh, I got a visitor named Pius from Papua New Guinea as well, right there, and excited to see him as well from the Southern Highlands, a great part of the world. And, and uh, it's been just great to see all of you. Every time I come back, there are more of you. Yeah. And the church, is, it's, it's filling up, you know. You can always tell at these... Uh, uh, New, at the, at the, 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 I think the council makes sure the councils make sure people don't steal chairs and make them so bright colored <laughs> because not only was it bright here but in the other place was also bright I thought well you can definitely see the empty chairs and I don't see many empty chairs and that's an exciting part 
You guys are going through a series in Acts, and so I thought I'd continue in that series in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and I will read this text in just a, um, a moment. Uh, the reading of, the, of Peter's sermon is about a minute and a half, but I need more time than that. So we're going to read that text, and I'll talk more about another 30, 40 minutes, because I'm not as clear and precise as Peter at that, at that moment. Of course, Peter's sermon will not be a, uh, all that Peter said, because even at the end of Peter's sermon, it says what? With many other words, he will and pleaded with them. And so obviously it was a longer sermon at that, at that point. You know, repentance and, and refreshment are two great themes in the New Testament. That when we repent, times of refreshment come our way. And you uh, <laughs> slide it, right? Oh, just touch it. Uh, oh. It doesn't change. <laughs> Does it change right here? Australia. Australia? I don't know. It's the uh, opposite of the Midas touch when it comes to technology for my life. Uh, but there's a great verse in, in uh, Acts 319 where, where it says, Repent therefore and turn back to God so that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So there are great themes in this passage about repent. Uh, and they're, uh, it's all tied into... <laughs> it skipped, skipped one there. It, okay. <laughs> It's okay. If I turn it back, there you. Great. It's just—it's got a mind of its own, and it's exciting. And um, but there are these great themes in here about. It's just—it's just missing a slide for some for some reason. It was a slide in between that or after that. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Hey, there you go. And so it talks, it talks there about, about repent, the Greek word epistrepho, to convert or to, or to turn. And if you do, it says God blots out our sins. He, he smears them out. He obliterates them. It's like erasing tears or pardoning sins or, or wiping, wiping away the, the ink or, or plasters over. And when that happens, then there's, there's refreshment, which is a properly a recovery of breath. You get refreshed when you repent. You know what I mean? You got to go, oh, I'm beginning to breathe again. I was choked up. I was, I was smothered. But now I can breathe. And after all that, you know, uh, it, it's like life to, to dry bones, which we'll talk about later in our, in our text. Uh, it's like drying out, exposing a wound to, to, to the air, blowing to make it better. God, you know, God, God refreshes us. And then he restores us, finally, that last Greek word, apotesis, which is restoration. In other words, we repent, he blots our sins, he refreshes us, and he restores us. And if you're in this fellowship and a member of God's church, Wherever that it may, wherever that may may be, you've had to go through that process, and you want to go through that process, don't don't you? You want to get to that refreshment, that that restoration. But sometimes we don't find ourselves there. We find ourselves. Well, I know that's where I'm supposed to be, but sometimes I'm not there. You know, the scene of this is, is uh, uh, the whole background of this passage we'll be reading in Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost, which is this, this word, word here. Uh, Pentecost is a Greek word, and, and it actually means uh, 50. 
Uh, and and it's, uh, for, for, it's 50 because it's 50 days after Passover. Uh, it had a couple of meanings. One uh, was it was a celebration of the, of the first fruits or the first harvest. And so you'd be planting in your very first harvest because harvests would come in different waves. And the first one would be uh, uh, celebrated at, at Pentecost, which would be 50 days after Passover. You can imagine in the Northern Hemisphere, Easter's around, around you know, March, uh, April, and then uh, springtime, and then your first crop 50 days later after that would be coming in. And, and then it also be, was, was uh, in Judaism, it was also the time remembered when God gave the law at Mount Sinai. And so it all kind of fits our text of Acts chapter 2 when the church starts in some sense because there's not, the, uh, not an old law but a new law or a new covenant. It's also the first fruits of God's kingdom will now start uh, in this section of scripture. And so this is going to be a very special Pentecost. Uh, strange things are going to go on. And, and so, so let's, let's read our text and draw some more points from that starting in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Greek word for tongue there is glossia, tongue or language. Now there was standing in Jerusalem, God fearing they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Resident of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And you've got to raise your voice without a PA system, right? It's a big crowd here, over 3,000 for sure. Let me explain to you carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, which I find hilarious. Meaning if it was like six o'clock, you'd be able to understand it, you know. But, but no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth. 
was a man accredited to God, to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, as all who hope in God think. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on earth that he would place one of his descendants on the Messiah. One of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. Every preacher's dream. <laughs> the great moment in time when, when 3,000, you kind of go, well, that's a good start. That's a great start. You know, uh, uh, this is an exciting time. As, as I've said, this is, this is Pentecost time. The time they remember the giving of the law, the time of the first fruits. Uh, it, was, it was a special time. Uh, and uh, the, the, the crowd will actually say, what does this mean? And, and Peter will give, give an answer for that in just a few minutes. We'll talk about some of the things that Peter says. Uh, strange things were going on. In verse 1 it said, there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. And it filled the house. And so, uh, and they began, there were tongues of fire that split and, and rested on each of them. And they began to speak in other languages, uh, which is what tongues mean. The Greek word is glossolalia, or, or, or glossia, which either means tongue or language. And so, they began to speak. They, they were utterly amazed, in verse 7, the text says, as we all would be. They were also, in verse 12, amazed and perplexed what was going on. Why? Because they all heard in their mother tongues 
Uh, but spoken by people with an accent, because here they all had Galilean accents. It's like when I try to speak French or, Eng- or Spanish or even English, you may detect an accent. And you say, well, he says he lives in Sydney, but it doesn't sound like he lives in Sydney. And so they also could hear these words, but they heard the accent and it, they understood, hey, hey, these guys are from Galilee. And they, I hear the accent, but I hear it in my mother tongue and the tongue that, that is our first language. Peter was well aware, of course, that the Galilean accent is recognizable. In fact, 53 days earlier, one servant girl picked him out and said, Hey, I can tell by your accent, you're one of these Galileans. The the text here says 15, list 15 countries. And the Spirit must have fallen on on the whole group because there are 15 different languages being spoken. And there were 11 or 12 apostles. And so uh, it was on all of them at at that moment. And they asked this question. What does this mean? Verse 13, some said, they've obviously been hitting the new wine. You know, that's the only explanation. But others said, but Peter will then will explain. And let's look this morning at four signs of the Spirit working in our lives today. Four qualities that are connected with repentance. First point, amen. And it worked. Praise God. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. There was a sound that said, like a mighty wind. Uh, so it was either a sound or it was like that sound, right? Uh, we, don't really, we don't really know. Uh, the wind is often a metaphor of the Spirit, isn't it? Uh, in John chapter uh, 3, when he talks to Nicodemus, he says, you know, you don't know where the, where the, where the wind, how the, you don't know how the wind works, but the Spirit's like that as well. It's, it's like the wind. It's, it's, it's blowing in uh, and, and he, as, as he begins to speak there. Uh, this is probably a, a, an especially a, re- a relevant passage, which is the backdrop of this, of this whole scene prophetically in the Old Testament. If so you have a Bible, turn to, uh, to Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 37, verse 1, it says, The hand of, of the Lord was upon me. Ezekiel's speaking from, for God. Or God was speaking through him. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, Can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is a great passage, isn't it? And we'll skip down to the next one in verse verse 9. And he says, said to them, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on them on their feet, a vast army. Then they said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. 
I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle in your land. And then you will know that the Lord has spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. That was a scene of Israel. It was a scene of our lives when we also felt dry as a bone, which is not just an Australian jacket to wear in the wet, which is a brand. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's, it's not just a dry. We, we, we were dry. We were empty. We were, we were emptied of our life. We were looking for some kind of life when we heard God's word. Peter, Paul will say the same thing in Ephesians uh, this is an actual photo of what happened at that event that I was able to, to grasp, but it's a vivid picture. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says there, But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ. And so we were all, before we were disciples, dead. Dry as a bone, lifeless, without hope, without any way to get out of this mess, without any way to come back to life. No flesh or blood, just bones. And so at this point, you know, it's again, it's the same theme from in Acts 3, 19, dead and repentance, turning to God, refreshment, uh, exposing our wounds to the breath of God. Like when we skinned our knees or cut our fingers and our mom blew on our wounds to make them better. God's, God's spirit blows on our wounds to make us heal and right. Uh, exposing our wounds to the breath of God. Openness is what we need to say, yes, that's who we were. We were dead. You know, very, very, very rarely when you, when you study sin with people, uh, most people say, oh yeah, that's, that's how I used to be, but I'm, but I'm kind of better now. You know, that's why I'm studying the Bible. Uh, otherwise, if I wasn't studying the Bible, I would, uh, but, I'm, but I'm studying that. And you kind of go, no, really, you're still there. Yeah. And that's a great kind of moment. Will they be humble and say, I'm still there? Or will they be religiously proud and say, no, I really ought to change. And this is just a self-improvement course. You know, what will we do at that moment? You know, we have, we have to have openness, which is what this passage is all about. Openness that was so opposed by the religious in Jesus' day. Remember all the encounters he had with the religious, and he'd say, you, you're just not open. You, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You're, you're white on the outside, but inside you're what? Full of dead men's bones, which is this text. And, and, it, and his openness was so opposed by the religious in Jesus' day and so opposed in our own day. The religious loved their privacy. And so in their own minds, they added to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, privacy. <laughs> Not in there, is it? If you wanted to be in the Bible, you can be sure. If you wanted to have your name in the Bible... That's at a great risk. Ask Abraham. He's, he's in the Bible. Ask him how it was when he went to Egypt for the first time. And tells his wife, Sarah, hey, say you're my, say you're my sister. I don't, I, so that they don't kill me because you're such a good looking woman. 
I'd, I'd, have, I'd probably say the same thing because of tests, you know. And, uh, and you know, he was, he was a coward. And, and then there was multiple times. Think about David, the man after God's own heart. And yet, what we all know the truth about all the truth about David, don't we? We know the highs, and we also know the extreme lows. Or Peter, the leader of the apostles initially, right? Or even, as far as we know, from all from that time on. And yet, Peter, you're so open. Everything Peter did wrong is in the Bible. And it was self-confessed. The only time I, th- I, th- I think he kind of held, held back was, was uh, it, in, in the Gospel of Mark, which is Peter's Gospel. It says Peter and John ran to the grave. And, uh, and, and, uh, but in the Gospel of John, it says Peter and John ran to the grave, but John ran faster. <laughs> but then Peter finally caught up and he went straight in. You know, he was finally, you know, Peter wasn't so open. You know, it was, he kind of hit, he wasn't quite open about all the things we do, as oftentimes God. Guys, guys will stretch the truth about our athletic abilities. I mean, how do you know if the Spirit is working in your life and on your life? Well, you're getting refreshed. You're feeling alive. You're aware of God regenerating, regenerating your spirit with His Spirit. You're opening the windows to let in the spring air. And refresh the clean the closeness, the closeness of your house after a long winter. We see this so often in, in our fellowship. And, and, I, and there have been many times, and I think it's true for you as well. You've come in here drooping. And then they're singing. And then they're taking the Lord's Supper and the communion. And hearing people share about their hearts and lives. And then the encouragements of the fellowship. And how do you leave here? There are very few people who say, I didn't want to come, and I came, and I'm, and I'm sad I did. <laughs> That's not what I hear. I wasn't feeling great. I was tired. I wanted some break. I drugged myself here, and I'm glad I did. Because my spirit needed that. You see this in uh, in the interactions. Uh, When you have a great quiet time, that refreshment that comes in the interactions in our discipling times with one another, where you say, man, I talked about my heart. I I kind of brought it out there. Well, how do you feel? Do you feel violated? No, I feel free. I feel clean and washed. I felt unclean before when I was hiding things. It's not that people... Even in the political world, it's not that people are amazed that politicians do wrong things. We're just upset when they, when they hide them. And so also in our lives as well. We all have been in dead groups. And hopefully you've been in, a, you've been in full of life groups. And you might say sometimes coming in, as, as I think even in the, uh, one of the sisters shared, that, the, that there was a different spirit in this group. But maybe there is. But not a different spirit, but maybe the Holy Spirit. Uh, You see, in Jesus' apostles, they they, they were so different now than there were 50 days prior to this. Because of what the Spirit does. Now they're so animated. They're so fired up. They have tongues, literally, tongues on top of their head. You know... uh, you know, why, why are some groups and people so dead looking either they never got the spirit or sometimes people dress up 
like, like, like if you go to an open funeral and the casket's open and the body's all dressed up. And sometimes religious can dress their bodies up, but they're still a dead body. Yeah. Or if they get the spirit, the spirit, you know, uh, or if, if they get the spirit, and, and sometimes, you know, this happens to us as well. There's a passage in Ephesians 4.30, which says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, and get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And that word for grieve is a Greek word, lipeo, which means, which was a funeral word. And, and sometimes, you know, it's the language of a funeral. And sometimes we, we, we yes, we got the spirit, but we've grieved the spirit. And so our life and our posture as we enter and fellowship is more like it when, like when we're going to a funeral. Which is not full of life. You don't really like joke around. You know, you kind of, you got to kind of watch the jokes at a funeral. You know what I mean? You got to, you, 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 we act just like that. And, and maybe I often say that, you know, often you've heard a church can feel like more like a funeral than a celebration. Maybe because the spirit there is grieving. And in your own life, when you're, when you're grieving, you got to say, well, how are my relationships? Am I bitter? Am I grumbling? Am I unresolved? This is not the church problem. This is my problem. I'm not going to talk about that because the Spirit doesn't want that in my life. Slander or gossip or bitterness. But repentance, turning the Lord instantly brings that refreshment, that restoration. And that's how God wants us to be in the Auckland church. Second point. And they're shorter, lest you get fearful. That... The Spirit brings unity. In Genesis 11, if you have a Bible, turn to that, because I, I don't think I printed it out. Uh, let me read it for you. It's about the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Here, God said, look down, and he saw them all united and speaking one language. And God says, that's a scary thing. We all, the idea of having, let's, let's have a one world government. Sounds like a good way to get rid of wars. And also a good way to get rid of a lot of other things. Like freedom and uh, expressions. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we're not... 
We don't really want to trust like a world government. You know, our natural intent is saying, yes, government solves all of our problems. No, not really, you know. And, though I'm not opposed to United Nations. This is not a weird political talk, okay? It's, I, I don't care about you. Those are all great things. But, but there's something scary, right? We, we want there to be, in some sense, another voice. Another, another voice to kind of bring, to ask the questions. As in our system of government and with, with, with Westminster Systems, there's an opposition party. And, 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 and this day it was another language, another language to say something somewhat different. And God was worried that if men do this in an unspiritual way, then everything they want to do will be possible for them. So he confused the language, and the tower was called Babel, and, when we, and, and Babel becomes another word for, uh, for babbling, for not understanding one another. You know, words, you know, uh, but here, here unity is going to change. Now, in a complete reverse of this, they're all speaking the same language, or at least hearing the same language. But now, it's different. Because it's not men without God, it's men with God who are doing it. And that's the kind of unity that God wants. Unity is, is so important. A unity under God. The Lord's Supper. Uh, they would, they would have, we would have a loaf. And, and the one loaf, 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. And so uh, in the first century, you probably had one loaf. You'd break a piece of bread off, off that. Uh, we always have... Now we have to have gluten-free bread as well as broken bread. Let's put some gastro is permitted. No, I, <laughs> I find it kind of funny for 2,000 years we got along without... Anyway, we didn't make all that, you know. But God wants us unity. I think, I think the Spirit gives us that unsettled feeling that we aren't unified with one another at times. And then we need to let the Spirit work in our lives... And own our lives to bring the unity that he wants. God wants unbelievable things to happen in this church. God wants the impossible to happen in this church. Which he says happens when men are unified. And women are unified under God. God does the impossible. All things will be possible then. But unity is hard. I've been living with Tess for 45 years. I'm still working on it. And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're still working on that. You're right, John? You're, you're, you're working on it. You want it. You're working at it. And you can't, so it's a work in progress. And it has to be because we didn't marry. You know, I'm not married to the same woman that I first married. We both changed, which makes our marriage exciting. Not boring. We're brand new people. And we keep on working at that unity. I won't get off on that. But unity is tough. And it's hard. And words can either unify us or words can divide us. Words can be so damaging. You know, Ephesians 4.29 uh, I think I'll have a script up there in a second as soon as the process is Ephesians 4.29, it says there, Great. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
You know, no unwholesome talk, no, no rotting, decaying uh, 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 talk that, that pulls down. Instead of that, helpful words are, you know, words for building up. Literally in the Greek, good words and building up words. Because so we're going to have a fellowship. We're going to have food. This is Food Sunday, right? That's why some of you are here, I know, for the food, right? But what do we do in the fellowship? You know, what, what words do we say? Before I was a Christian, most of my interactions were put-down words. Words, sarcastic words. And who could be the wittiest or sarcastic? But now, helpful words, good words, building up words. Is that my nature? Not at all my nature. That's why I need a, the Spirit in me. I need a new heart and a new nature to begin to say things to you and to my wife and to my children and my grandchildren. Words that build up, not words that tear down. Words that tear down stay in our minds. They get connected to, uh, you know, our, our minds remember things, especially if there's emotion attached to them. And if there's an emotional impact with, with those words, they stay there in our, in our brain. That's why we remember some things so clearly and other things we can't remember at all because of the emotion associated with that. And the hurts that can come by wounds, woundful words, stay with us and scar us. But God says in God's church, it is to be different. Third point. Believe it or not, the Spirit loves to preach. You know, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to speak. In Acts 2.14, the Spirit stood up, the Peter stood up with 11 and raised his voice. Because he was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit loves to preach. In Acts 4, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Again, the Spirit loves to preach. In Numbers chapter 11, uh, back to verse 29, a time in the Old Testament, when, when Moses had appointed some people, but there were a couple he didn't appoint, but they got the Spirit too. And he says, and then Joshua says, hey, Moses, they're, they're not really, they're not official. And Moses said, come on, Joshua, ease up. I wish that all the people, large people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. If the Spirit's in you, you love to preach like these guys were doing. You know, it, uh, here, it, here in our text in Acts 2, it falls on all people. Two, two qualities are different from the Old Testament because the Spirit was in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit would, fall, would not fall on all people, but only on some people. And uh, in the Old Testament... Sometimes the Spirit would leave the person that it had fallen on. And so King Saul had the Spirit. Then the Spirit left King Saul. Uh, David says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, right? You know, there is this, there's this concept. But here in our text, in Acts chapter 2, the old men and the young men, the mature women and the young men, the, the old men and the young men, the mature women, the young women, young women all... All are filled with visions and dreams. It's not like, well, here are the young people over there. They're so fired up. Here are the old people there. They're not. 
or the other way around. Because I've been in groups where the old people are kind of fired up and the teens are sitting back there going, hey, what are we doing here again? I got attitude. I got attitude. I've been drug here. Amen. I'm glad they drug you here. Amen. But, but the spirit, you know, uh, it falls on all of our people, uh, both young and old. A church that is fired up of members of all ages zealous for God. Dreaming dreams. Having vision. Not just on the apostles, but all of them. A church filled of all ages that interact. Uh, I, I love it in our church. We, our campus ministry's booming and, and the marriage. Uh, but then the marriage, you know, uh, we're, stu- we're studying with one couple. Uh, uh, we live in the central coast, like north, and we, we've had, we've had uh, three people, one, two, three, three or four people over 60 baptized in the last 15 months. And, and you know, it's kind of like, Oh, that's my peer group, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and but that that only that only fires that only that not only fires up the old people, that fires up the young people. Yes. You know, it's not like here's where the growth is, and here's the other people who they grow and we pay. No, we 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 we're all in it together. A real sign of health of a church is all ages. I don't know what you call. It. What do you call it when you put a. Uh, cotton on the end of a, a swab, a cotton, a Q, cotton tip. What do you call them? A, a Q-tip, or we, we call them a, a white top, or cotton, white tops, or something, right? Something like that. Probably a sign that you're in the wrong church if you go in, and and, and everybody's got white hair. <laughs> I call it a Q-tip church. <laughs> But that's not, how, that's not what it says here. The Spirit will fall on all people and will dream dreams and will have vision of what God can do. God wants that for all of us. Filled with the wine, really new wine or sweet wine. You know, God, God, God wants that for His church. I, uh, he wants us to be so full of the Spirit that, that, we, he, that, that, that we preach. It just comes out of our mouths. In Job chapter 32, when one, uh, the first reference here in the first uh, 17 and following, uh, and the text is that there were four friends of Job, but only the fourth one, the young one, was actually that gave good advice. And he says, I too will have my say. I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. And inside I'm like bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. I remember once we went and picked blackberries when we were young in California, and, and we, I put them in a, I put them in a, in a, in a we smushed them up, and I put them in a jar, and I put a cork on it. In the middle of the night, about a month, I thought I was going to make my own blackberry wine. In the middle of the night, there was an explosion. <laughs> Because in the fermentation process, CO2 is released, and, and, and if, there's no way, if there's no way to go, something's going to give. They used to put new wine in new, fresh wineskins because they could expand. And old wineskins, they couldn't, they would blow up. And, and, and he's here saying, I'm about to blow up. I got the Holy Spirit in me. It's just, I got this wine in me. It's fermenting. It's getting good. And the older I get, the better that 
wine is. You know, and, and I got I got to speak. I got I got to preach. Jeremiah says the same thing in, in the next text, in chapter twenty. Whenever I speak or cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction, so the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention His name uh, or speak any more in His name, His word is in my heart like a fire. It is a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. When's the last time you had that going on? God wants it going on. God wants you to have those quiet times and those worship times and those discipling times where there's some stirring up and mixing up and you're going to go, man, I got to, man, I'm alive in God. I got to fire in me and I got to open my mouth. And I don't know, I hope it comes out. I hope I can moderate what comes out. But, but you know, I, I do know if you, if you don't moderate, if you don't continually do it, there's kind of an explosion. It's not as effective. <laughs> Talk all the time as the Spirit dwells in your hearts and makes things happen. How do you know how do we know the Spirit is in us and working in us? We have the desire, this fire, to talk about God. And it doesn't come because you heard it from the pulpit. It comes because the Holy Spirit's in you. And if it's in you, the Spirit loves to preach. In young men, in old men, in young women, in old women, the Spirit loves to preach. Fourth and last point. The Spirit loves to convict. And hopefully there's been a little of that this morning. You know, John, six, John 16, verses 7 and 8. Uh, it says there, uh, in John 15, first of all, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father. So the Spirit is a Spirit of what? Truth. And John 16, verse 8. And when he comes, that is the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Uh, God's word is inspired by the Spirit. God's word is described as a double-edged sword. And how do we know if the Spirit's working on our life and in our life? Well, conviction is what we experience regularly. It has to do with the truth. In our text it says, when they heard what Peter said, they were cut to the heart. The same word there. They were convicted by that. The Spirit convicted their heart. Uh, and, uh, and then they, res they responded. The Greek word for conviction is the Greek word elek. Ilego. And, and it means to state that someone has done wrong with the implication there's an adequate proof of such a wrongdoing. And so, so the scriptures do that with one another. And sometimes God uses us to help others to see God's word because self-deceit's the most common kind of deceit. And we all experience it. And unless you have someone, pity the one who has no one. Pity the man who has no, no, you know, who stands alone. That we need uh, someone in our life to tell us the truth. Uh, I've got Tess. She always, she tells me the truth. I can say, I can say, hey, I can hear from, from you. Great sermon, Mike. But I really won't really believe that until Tess tells me. <laughs> you know, 
I mean, I, I will believe it. You know what I'm saying? But, but that's where I really, you know, we're going to need people in life to tell us the truth. You know, and, and, and Aleko is, is bringing it out and saying, you gotta, I want you to see this, to understand this. That's because it's the work of the Spirit. And humility is needed towards God and towards one another because God uses his scriptures and uses one another to help bring the conviction that God wants. Humility is what we need. Let the Spirit work in you and on you. You know, there's a, Mark Driscoll is a leading evangelical in the United States, and he laments what he calls the downfall of evangelicalism, where he describes it as therapeutic, he describes it as therapeutic evangelicalism. In other words, he says, we, we have combined counseling in the Bible, often psychological principles with the scripture attached and nothing is ever very strong. But imagine that you went to get some counseling from John the Baptist. I mean, really, you know, you want to go, hey, John, I want to have a chat. How's it going to go? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, gonna, you know I, mean, I mean, I know if I'm proud, I'm going to catch some heat. You know, I, I, but I, I, I know one thing, it's coming straight. And the whole countryside went out to hear John the Baptist because he told us straight. We don't come to church to hear what we want to hear. We come to church to hear what we need to hear. And, and people who love us and care about us and want the best for us. And, I'm, and counseling, amen, everybody, we all need counseling sometimes. Sometimes professional counseling, that's really great and a, a good thing. But in God's body, we're all adequate to counsel one another, Romans 15, to, to help bring, to bring conviction, to bring God's word to our heart that only the church can do. It's our task. It's who we are. It's why we're here. And when we said Jesus is Lord, that meant he is Lord. And the scriptures tell us how to live. The Spirit loves to preach. The Spirit loves to convict. The Spirit loves to blot out our sins and refresh our spirits and restore us to what God really wants for us. And so let us bubble up and fill up with His power within us here in the Auckland Church today and let us have a cranking fellowship inspiring and encouraging one another to be all that we can be for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.